The Profit Constructors presents Construction Junction, the junction between accounting and construction. Please welcome our host, Tanya Schulte. Hey, and welcome back for our latest edition of the Construction Junction podcast. I am your host, Tanya Schulte, and I'm so glad that you are listening today, maybe watching this on YouTube. We're glad to have you back. Um, we have talked here at the Construction Junction in the past about various things that accountants can do for you. Um, we had my friend Julie on a long time ago, and she chatted with us about the various differences between a CPA, uh, a tax accountant, which might not even be a CPA, they might be an enrolled agent, a tax preparer, um, and someone like myself, who is a management accountant. Um, maybe that does bookkeeping and can help you sort through the numbers, help you understand the numbers better. What we haven't really discussed previously on the show, and I'm very excited to get into this today, is the area of finance and, uh, and how finance and accounting are sort of nestled in together, but they're not exactly the same thing. And it can be easy to get lost in the nuance between the two. In fact, honestly, I do sometimes, right? Like there's, there's this whole portion of running your business, which involves making financial decisions, which isn't necessarily accounting. And so it's easy to get lost in between what we're recording, what we're doing, how we're analyzing numbers, which all of that could really fall into accounting, controller um, level accounting things, things that our firm offers all of the time. But it might roll off into the level of needing to have uh, what a lot of people uh, these days tend to call a chief financial officer, right? Someone who is within your organization perhaps, or as we're gonna see in just a little bit, could be someone from without, outside your organization. Um, but that person that can step in and take a lot of factors, including all the accounting and bookkeeping and things that are going on, and a wide range of other factors, and factor that into what is the next best financial decision for our company to make. And it is where, uh, you know, we always talk about here on Construction Junction being the junction where construction and accounting meet. This is a sort of um, side junction, if you will, where the numbers and the holistic approach to how we're managing our business, this is that junction where those meet and where we can analyze things at a higher level and um, get help, get discernment and get answers for what is the next best step to take. So today we are gonna be talking about that. What does that mean uh, in terms of the difference between accounting and finance? What does it mean in terms of having someone on your team, whether they're internal or external, to help guide you through, through those processes. The truth is you have to have management accountants and bookkeepers like myself, um, because you have to have the right data. A CFO can't analyze data if the data is incorrect. So that's the first step. And then you also have to have tax preparers, right? Like there is a compliance piece to everything we do. The government's going to require you to file certain things at certain times in a certain way. So all of those things are necessary 
But I believe, and we're going to chat about our guest with this in a little bit in more detail, it's also necessary to know holistically what to do with all the information that's coming at you as a business owner and how to take the next best financial step for your business. And so we're going to talk with our guest coming up here in just a little bit about how to do that. What does that mean? And what does it mean for you? Is it something that you already have, a CFO? Or is there room for you to reach out and maybe just start and take the next step by hiring an external or outsourced CFO? So let's talk more about that in the next tech segment. We will be right back. Are you a construction accountant or industry advisor who is enjoying the Construction Junction podcast, but wish you could dive deeper into the topics with industry peers and even learn more about how to serve your clients well? Then you will enjoy the Construction Junction Roundtable. Art host, Tanya Schulte, leads the Construction Junction Roundtable, where we bring together construction company advisors to learn how to grow their business. We'll help each other find effective marketing strategies and bring high-quality accounting services and other high-level advisory services to the construction space. Head over to roundtablelab.com to sign up. Hello and welcome back uh, for the second segment of this installment of the Construction Junction podcast. And as promised in the first installment, I am joined now by Luke Boyinger of Presumi. Is that how you say it, Luke? Uh, CFO yes, exactly. <laughs> Love it. Um, Luke, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate you having me as a guest on the podcast. Yeah. So um, you and I chatted a few weeks ago, and I was super excited about kind of what you are bringing to the table for um construction folks and contractors here in the Phoenix area and, and beyond, presumably. Um, but I'm really looking forward to kind of chatting with you today and talking more about this idea that accounting and finance, while closely nestled and important to each other, aren't exactly the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Very, very separate and distinct roles. Uh, kind of one begins where the other ends in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. Um, and one of the points that I was making in the first segment is that, um, you know, every business needs both, right? Like you have to have the accounting, you have to have everything lined out, you have to know what you're recording and why you're recording it so that you can gather the data and then do some analyzation. And it's that analyzation piece where you kind of take over. So tell us what, what is a CFO? What does that role really mean? Yeah, so a good way to think about it is yeah, the CFO is really the head of the finance function in a business. And in most businesses, accounting rolls up into finance. That's not always the case, but it, it tends to work that way just because that's how the data flows. So accountants are typically more historically focused, looking at what has already happened in the business and how does that need to be accounted for so that the business has accurate financial statements. And that's kind of usually where accounting stops and finance kind of takes it over there from there and says, okay, now that we have accurate financial data, how do we use that data to make strategic decisions about how we operate and function going forward as a business? Uh, where do we think the business is going? What are, what are the things happening in the next 6, 12, 18 months that we need to be prepared for? Uh, and shifting from looking at what's already happened to what's going to happen and what do we want to happen and trying to prepare the business for those things. 
Uh, and so, you know, most smaller businesses, they don't have huge accounting and finance teams. So a lot of times it's a, a good bookkeeper that guarantees the financials are accurate. Uh, and then a lot of times a fractional CFO like myself who comes in and says, okay, well, now that we've got accurate financial data, let's start putting it to use to run the business more effectively. Yeah. And you're kind of looking at that business a lot more holistically than necessarily the bookkeeper maybe. Again, like you're talking about the bookkeeper is just looking for what is the data? Where does the data need to be recorded and stored properly so it can be analyzed? But you're looking at some other determining factors besides just what got recorded in the books to help determine what are the next best steps for the business to take. So what are some ways in which you're looking at the business holistically versus just looking at the numbers? Yeah, you know, we're looking at um, we're looking at things like employee headcount as well. Um, but even just stepping completely outside of, of data, I like to start with quality of life for the business owner. You know, working with construction companies, these guys and, and women are known for working a lot, being very hardworking people and 60, 70, 80 hour weeks, whatever it takes to get the job done to make the business successful. And, you know, a lot of times when I talk to business owners, what I'm hearing from them is I've got to figure out how to work less. My family needs me around. I want to be able to spend time with my family, but I also want my business to succeed. I, I don't want either to suffer. I want both to thrive. And so a lot of times the first thing we do isn't necessarily how do we double your revenue or make it to where you take home significantly more money. It's how do we get you working less without taking a negative hit on the business and then kind of reestablishing how we grow uh, within that limitation so that the business owner isn't having to work all the time. <clears throat> yeah. I love that. And then I'm assuming there's also other outside factors, uh, you know, market trends and things that we can see are happening in the industry, all those types of things, which also have to factor into what you're taking into account. hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, something like construction is significantly impacted by the broader financial market in not even just the country, but really globally uh, as, as, the world is more globally intertwined, especially from a, a financial perspective. Things like economic downturns and recessions always tend to have a pretty immediate effect on the construction industry. And if you don't know that one is coming and you're not preparing for it, your odds of surviving that downturn are, are significantly lower because you haven't built up the cash reserves that you need and the systems and processes in place to weather the storm. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Actually, um, not that long ago, spoke at the American Subcontractors Association <clears throat> chapter about how to prepare for a recession. And one of the points that I made over and over is a lot of these steps that I'm telling you guys to do to prepare for recession are the steps you should be taking in your business anyway. All of these steps are just naturally going to make your business function better if you're putting them into place. Things like having good processes in place Things like making sure you're only targeting an ideal client and not just trying to sort of spit fire and do a lot of things for a lot of different people, um, right. kinds of things which will really just help move your business forward. Um, and, and like you're talking about, saving up cash reserves, things like that. And all of those things will sustain you in those hard times. Yep, absolutely. I, I always tell my clients, how do you prepare for a recession? You put the fundamentals in place. How do you prepare for an economic boom? 
you put the you know, fundamentals in place. It doesn't matter what's coming in the future. You've got to have those fundamentals in place or you're not going to be prepared to navigate growth or downturn, either one. Love it. So what are some of those fundamentals? What, what do you suggest for those clients? First and foremost is having accurate financial data because somebody like me is useless if the data is bad. Because if I take bad financial data and try to use it to do forecasting or analysis, then all we're going to do is draw a bunch of incorrect conclusions because the data led us in the wrong direction because it wasn't accurate. So the number one fundamental in place that you have to have is accurate bookkeeping. Once you have that, you can use that to build some of the other fundamentals like using a cash flow forecast to make sure you know when money is coming in and out of the business so that you can start planning for what's coming and making sure that you have the cash in hand at any given time to, to be able to address things that come and to strategically make decisions about things like owner distributions and employee bonuses and things like that, rather than just trusting your gut or going with the balance of the bank account. Um, and, you know, just having a monthly financial review in place is also another really important fundamental because Having the accurate financial data doesn't do any good if you don't look at it and understand how to use that data to drive decision-making in the business and to move the business towards achieving its strategic goals. Yeah, all really great stuff. Uh, you and I definitely are preaching to the same choir. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. And I think that um, one of the things that I was thinking about as I was thinking about our conversation for today is over the last seven, almost eight years of our business being in place as we've worked with a lot of these um, construction contractors and we are helping them put all the right data in place and we're helping them do job profitability uh, better than ever before. And we're helping them to do labor burden and all the things that they could be doing. But this is a piece, and you and I talked about this a little bit, Luke, when we were talking before, this is a piece that's really been harder for our team to help our clients achieve. I think for two reasons. One, you already mentioned the, the business owner is always very busy, right? So it's hard for them to really see the value in sitting down every single month and, and taking a look at the numbers. But also because there are so many distinct variables and every time that our team has reached out to try to get help, to help do some of that forecasting, there are not a lot of either um, providers like yourself or even um, software applications that are built for this kind of forecasting in the construction industry. Yeah. Um, I don't think that even construction company owners really understand how difficult it is to kind of do what you are doing in terms of projections in this industry. Yeah, it, it's very difficult. Uh, I mean, really in any business, projecting the future is difficult because at the end of the day, you know, the best forecaster on the planet is still only guessing. Yes, we're making a strategic guess. We're using good data to inform that guess, but it's still a guess. But you're right, the construction industry is particularly more difficult because it's harder to forecast seasonality and economic impact um, in a, something like a revenue forecast. But you know, there are, there are always ways um, of, st of still doing it and, and being as accurate as possible, but that's why the monthly financial review is so important because your forecast doesn't have to be accurate. The forecast is never meant to be a crystal ball that perfectly tells you what's going to happen. It's just a marker. Mm -hmm. It's something to aim for and measure against and so that you have the ability to assess how your company is performing. 
because if you thought you should have done 500,000 in revenue last month, it doesn't matter so much whether you were over or under that goal as much as it matters that you understand why you were over or under that goal. Yeah. And you can work with either answer. It's it's when you don't have that answer and you don't know why you were over or under or even what you should have achieved that you're really just flying blind and it's difficult to make progress. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you kind of, what is your uh, first thought process when you want to sit down with a client and understand some things? How do you help them sort of set some of those metrics and goals? How, what does that process look like? For most of my clients, I start with doing a complimentary business review for them where I'll take their last three years of financial data and whatever they've done year to date for the current year. And I'll put together a full CFO report for them and do a full in-depth financial analysis complete with observations and recommendations um, just based solely on what I'm seeing in their business. And usually there are three, four or five things that immediately jump off the page of this needs to be a key initiative for you because this is something that is, is significantly holding you back from achieving the goals that you have for your business. Uh, and it, so it's a combination of that and just having a conversation with the business owner and understanding what's important to them. Because some of some business owners are honestly perfectly content with the size their business is right now. They don't necessarily want it to be any bigger and that's totally fine. And that's more of a conversation of, okay, you don't wanna grow in terms of revenue or the amount of work that you're doing. So let's shift all of our focus on making that revenue as profitable as possible. How do we increase your margins without changing revenue so that you're working the same amount but making more money on it? So it's kind of a combination of looking at their financial data um, but also having conversations with the owner and understanding what they value. Yeah, that's a really good point and yeah, good important point as well. Um, in terms of like having those conversations about what's important to them. Same thing when we come in and we're sitting down as the profit constructors and having conversations with new clients. One of the first questions that I ask every business owner is, "What is your five-year goal? What is your ten-year goal? Like, where do you yeah. see this business going?" and what's going to be important to you as we sort of put a plan in place for getting you there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so as you guys are, you know, as you're working with a client and you're kind of setting those goals and putting those metrics in place, then how do you, is there like a lot of handholding? You know, you said this is going to be one of the key initiatives for you. How do you help them sort of prioritize? Because as you said, these guys are working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. So great. We've identified a key initiative, but and how can we actually make changes in the business that'll help us move towards that? Yeah, that that's really where it's tough because I can come up with a list of 100 things they should do. If they don't have time to do any of them, it doesn't matter. And you really have to be intentional about connecting what you're asking them to do back to the goals that they have set for themselves. And so if they've set a goal of being able to pay themselves more or being able to improve their margins, or something like that. And you go to them with a strategy of increasing prices because their margins are too low, they're under industry average and they're bidding too cheap, then that's something that's easy to implement because they're already doing the work to bid the jobs. You're just asking them to change the numbers that they use in the bidding process. So it's not super difficult to implement. Whereas saying something like you need to hire a project manager because you're trying to do too much yourself, 
that's a big ask and it's a heavy lift to say you need to go out and source resumes spend time going through them and identifying the people that are, are worth interviewing conduct the interviews and then make a selection of somebody to hire based on those interviews assuming that any of them were the type of candidate you're looking for in the first place um, and so usually what i'm trying to do first when i come into the business is what's the low-hanging fruit what can we do to move the needle right now that isn't a heavy lift and let's do those things first and those things tend to create a little bit of capacity either in their time or in their budget and once they feel the benefit of that capacity then doing something like taking on a, a larger project like hiring an additional resource becomes more feasible at that point yeah that's great i love that strategy it makes a lot of sense um, when you're working with the business owners and you guys are kind of working through that strategy, let's say, you know, you've gotten to the point like, okay, let's uh, reach out and let's hire a project manager. Are you involved in that aspect of it as well in terms of like helping them evaluate those folks? So one of the ways that I add value for my clients is by being able to connect them to my network of valuable contacts. Um, you know, I, I I don't expect business owners to be out there networking with hundreds of lawyers and accountants and insurance people and bankers because they don't have time to do that. So that's what I do. I go out and network with hundreds, literally hundreds of accountants, lawyers, insurance people, bankers, and I'm finding all the best service providers in the area that I can refer my clients to, to get help with things like leveling up their banking, getting all of their risk adjust with insurance products, finding somebody who can help them procure leads for filling roles in the company. Um, you know, and to the extent that they're hiring uh, an accounting or finance level position, certainly I can, I can advise on the qualifications of the people they're interviewing. Uh, but typically the best thing I can do is refer them to people in my network who have that skill set. Yeah. Brilliant. I love that. Staying in your lane and knowing what is available within your network and how to lead them in that direction. Right. Absolutely. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that. Like what, um, where all are you networking and kind of how are you finding all those uh, great service providers? Very, very manually. <laughs> That's, it's a lot of work, honestly. You know, I spend a lot of time literally just reaching out to people on LinkedIn and saying, hey, I think that what you do is valuable. And I think it would be valuable to my clients. I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee, just meet up with you, chat, learn more about what you do and how it benefits my clients um, so that I can build my referral network of, of people that I can send my clients to because I, I want my clients to get really high quality service from all the service providers that they have. And I, I find that that tends to work pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, people are generally willing to meet with me and tell me about what they do. And then I get a, an opportunity to kind of assess their personality and, and their approach and how they do things and have some information about whether or not they would be a good fit for a client I have. That's fantastic. And I think like everything in life, everything runs on the rails of relationship, right? And so um, I don't know about you, but over the past course of, you know, seven or so years of owning this business, one of the things that I've loved about the network that I've built is that a lot of the folks that I've 
known and talked to, maybe referred people back and forth with. Um, now then it's great to be able to just like pick up the phone. Just, this just happened a couple of uh, weeks ago where I was able to pick up the phone and say, hey, my client's running into this really strange issue. I know it's not your client as well, but I just have a quick question. If you could just, and in five minutes, this other service provider was able to just answer a question for me so that I could help that client move along. Yeah. And it's so nice because, you know, then the clients begin to really see you as like that person that not only can refer them, but also just has a contact that I can say, hey, I don't really know the answer to that, but let me find out. I think it'll take me about five, 10 minutes. Um, and so that's really nice too. again, like a total value add for your clients to just have this network of other people that can, can help them uh, at any point that they need little bits of help. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very valuable to them and, and they always appreciate it. Yeah. So tell us about your ideal client. I mean, that's one of the things that I feel is so important for any business. So it's one of the things that we're consistently working with our clients on is like, okay, who are you doing this work for? Like, are you a, um, you know, a subcontractor who will only work with general contractors or will you work directly for owners and why, what is the difference? And so we, we start to really hone in on those things with our clients. We also have an ideal client. What is yours? Luke? who would you really love to work with? Who's your ideal client? Yeah. So I, I work specifically with um, business owners in the construction space. So that could be subcontractors, general contractors, really anyone in the skilled trades, um, you know, HVAC, plumbing, electrical, anything like that that's in that construction space is a good client for me. Um, per, from a from a business size perspective, I'd say one to 30 million in revenue tends to be a good fit. Um, any any smaller than that, and it it's just hard to fit uh, from a budget perspective. And usually they're not at a level of complexity yet where they're necessarily in a position where they need the more advanced financial skill set to continue to grow the business. There, there tends to be a certain level that a construction business can get to on its own before needing to bring in uh, some higher powered financial advice. Um, so less than a million, it tends to just not be necessary. And then once you get into the 20, 30 plus million in revenue range, a lot of those companies are now at a point where they can just go hire a full-time CFO that sits there 40 hours a week and, and does everything for them. Uh, and so they just tend to not need the service once they get to that range. So it can vary a little bit, but generally in the one to 20 to 30-ish range, million in revenue tends to be kind of the sweet spot. Yeah. What's your background? How did how did you get into doing this, Luke? Yeah, <clears throat> great question. So I have a, a little bit of a unique background for a CPA. Uh, most CPAs story looks more like I graduated high school, I went to university, I got a degree in accounting, I graduated, I got my CPA license. <laughs> so I didn't even start my accounting degree until I was 24. I grew up working in family businesses for my dad and my grandpa. My grandpa owned a commercial construction company. My dad owned a manufacturing company. And I didn't start my accounting degree until I was 24. And I ended up doing that because my dad's business went bankrupt during the 2007, 2008 financial crisis. And I came out of that experience thinking, man, if somebody in my family had understood like pretty much anything about accounting and finance, mm -hmm. we probably could have weathered that storm and put ourselves in the position to be successful because there's hundreds of thousands of other businesses that didn't go bankrupt during the financial crisis. So why did we? Yeah. And really developed a passion for understanding 
Like, what's the right way to run a business? Clearly, we didn't do it. So I want to know what it is so that I don't have to make this mistake again. That's when I found myself back in school studying accounting, got my accounting degree from Wichita State University, went to work for Ernst & Young right away, where I got my CPA license and spent about six or seven years doing financial statement audits for Fortune 500 companies, really getting an opportunity to, to sort of peek behind the curtain and see how are the world's largest, most sophisticated, most successful companies using financial data in their business to make strategic decisions and and be so successful. Um, and all the while, I, I always knew I wanted to take the knowledge and expertise I was gaining and deploy it to help small business owners like my parents had been. So after I, I spent a little over a decade in various you know, accounting and finance roles, I ended up starting my business and offering CFO services to smaller businesses so that I can take the the decade of accounting and finance knowledge and expertise that I've developed and use it to help small businesses uh, bring out their highest potential. Eleva, it resonates so hard. That's why our tagline is we help you run with the big dogs at the profit constructors because uh, same, you know, so such a similar story in terms of going and working directly in uh, larger construction organizations all across the country and seeing, uh, from my perspective, you know, like you were talking about it from the perspective of like, how are they taking this financial data and making these decisions? And in the perspective of where I was working, you know, up to like controller and, and things like that in some of these larger corporations, the idea was how are they really putting to use good practice and process in the back office so that the data is organized and in the right place and that that data can be actionable, right? And so, um, that was one of the first things when I first started working with smaller companies of realizing, oh goodness, um, you know, some of the first companies I went into, I would say, okay, so um, what's your process for your payables? And they'd be like, well, um, when bills come in, they'll sit on Mary's desk. And when she finds time, she writes checks for them. <laughs> I don't yeah. think it's going to work. Um, and so I just love, uh, you know, you and I both have kind of that background of saying, okay, how do these really big guys do it? And what makes them so successful? Let's turn around and help smaller business replicate that so that they can grow and reach their full potential. And we always say that we have a growth mandate, but that, like you said earlier, doesn't have to be revenue growth. Um, and in a lot of ways, sometimes it can even just be the growth of the business owner and understanding more about best business practice on the back end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you, now that you're bringing this to bear, I'd love to hear some success stories and kind of as you're working with clients, uh, what are some of the ways that you've been helping smaller businesses do things better? Yeah, so a great example, I'm working with a client now that when I started working with him, I asked him like what his monthly financial review process looks like. And he says, well, my bookkeeper emails me my financial statements and I don't look at them. <laughs> oh. Okay, great. So do you ever get into QuickBooks and like poke around and, and look at the numbers and try to understand what's happening in your business? And he said, I, I don't even have access to QuickBooks. Mm -hmm. And so we've, we've now switched him over to QuickBooks Online with his bookkeeper. So he has access to his own financial data and he can, and we've implemented a monthly financial review. So he's actually educated and informed on 
how his business is actually performing instead of just how he thinks it's performing. We've been able to use that data to implement a 5% uh, price increase because this guy was winning 95% of the jobs he was bidding. Yeah. It's like, honestly, you think that's a good thing. Like, oh, you're winning 95% of your work. That's awesome. But it's actually terrible because yeah. that means you're too cheap. Yeah. More people should be telling you no. And I was able to put together analysis that said, look, if you raise your prices 5%, that is a direct 5% increase to margin. Yes. And even if that causes you to lose 25% of your business, you are still ahead from a profit perspective just by raising prices 5%. Yes. And it absolutely blew his mind. He never had seen it that way before and is immediately implementing a 5% profit increase. And you know, honestly, I, I kind of hope that does cost him five, 25% of his business because part of what we're trying to solve is getting him working less. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. if I can cut 25% of the work out of his business and make him more profitable in the process, that's a win across the board. I love it. You're you're reminding me of a, a month-end meeting we had with a client, I think about a month ago, and I was sitting chatting with him and he was excitedly telling me about a bid that they had lost. And that was the whole story because we did the same thing with him. We came in and said, you're winning too many bids. And uh, you know, you're just always gonna continually be on this hamster wheel unless you can find ways to increase your prices. And so it's just, it's a fun like celebratory moment. Our whole team celebrated him actually losing a bid. And then the <laughs> amazing, fascinating part about that was that the person who won the bid ended up having to walk away from the job and he stepped back onto the job and actually took it at a higher rate than he had originally bid it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's a good story. It's yeah. And so I just love it. I think that's so important. <clears throat> well, I think you're exactly right. And I, as a small business owner who started running this, even with a lot of these types of, you know, best practices and process in mind, you know, I myself have had to learn how to identify an ideal client, how to say no, how to price right how to learn when I'm leaving too much money on the table because everyone's accepting our pricing. And so, yeah, it's been, it's just a constant learning process, I think, for every business owner. It really is. Yeah. That's, and it's one of the harder things to learn and to get comfortable with is what's that sweet spot mm -hmm. in pricing where you're getting the most value you can for, for the value that you're delivering to your clients, but not pricing yourself out of the market. It's a, it's a fine line. Right. Yeah. And I think it's really hard, especially for um, the guys who are out in the field that are in this industry that are working out in the field all the time. There's so many conflicting stories. I don't know about you, but I'm on quite a few Facebook groups that are specifically made for contractors. Yep. And we'll see one of the guys post just a question like, here's a job, what should I bid it for? And he's posting it to people who are all across the country. And they always <laughs> feel like they should jump in and tell them what to bid it for. And I always laugh yeah. when I read those posts because I'm like, they, don't, they didn't ask him where he lived. <laughs> they didn't ask him how many employees he had. They didn't ask him all these different factors, which might be telling to what he should bid that for, but they'll just give all their opinions all day long. So I think it's really hard when you're that small business owner to sort of turn off all of these outside opinions and really focus on what your business should be and what your numbers are telling you, what your area is, um, you know, whatever's happening in your industry, all those types of things. It's just really hard to drown out the noise. Yeah, you're exactly right. And those posts always end up with like 300 comments on them too of, 
wildly conflicting opinions. So the whoever posted the question didn't get any help whatsoever at all because the, the answers are so so wide and broad that there's no useful information in it. Right. Yeah. So to that point, what would be your advice to a small business owner, specifically in the construction industry, who's trying to understand how to find the right advisors? Like how should they go about looking for those advisors and 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 not necessarily just turning to Facebook for every answer, but how can they find really good trusted advisors? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I, I literally answered this question recently to a prospective client. Someone reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, Hey, I already have a fractional CFO, but they don't have any experience in the construction industry. Mm -hmm. So give me your pitch. And my pitch to him was literally, at the end of the day, everybody who's a fractional CFO has some level of financial expertise, which means they're going to take your financial data. They're going to run analysis, put together numbers and charts and graphs and give you strategic advice based on that information on what you should be doing in your business to achieve your goals. That's what we all do. So what's the differentiator? The differentiator is background and experience. Mm -hmm. And what do they know that helps your business specifically, not just businesses in general? And so if you're in the construction space and you're thinking about working with a fractional CFO who is a fractional CFO for law firms. It's not that they can't add any value to your business. I'm quite certain they can, and it's going to be better than the nothing you probably had before. Right. But for the same money, I almost guarantee you, you can find a fractional CFO who specializes in your industry and has the background and the expertise to be able to advise you because they know how your industry works. They know the numbers in your industry, where your margin should be, where your net profit should be, what your employee cost should be. And they're going to be much better equipped to advise you and to know what to do with all that financial data because they know your industry. So at the end of the day, the biggest differentiator and what should really be what you focus on when looking for an advisor is their background and their experience and their ability to speak to your industry. That makes a lot of sense. It, just in terms of like, you know, we will say similar things to clients all the time at the profit instructors. Like, um, does the bookkeeper that you're working with, have they ever prepared whip reporting before? Have they ever done job costing? Have they ever helped someone understand an appropriate labor burden in, within your industry? So um, those are types of things that not every bookkeeper knows how to do or even wants to do. That's something that, because I came with such a strong, heavy construction background, I didn't even understand when I started this business was that so many other bookkeepers would say, hey, Tanya, here's a new referral. They're, they want bookkeeping help and I'm not gonna touch construction with a 10 foot pole, right? Because there's a lot of extra parts and pieces to construction yeah. accounting. So yeah, it's something that you really have to sort of vet and understand, does this person know what you're asking them to do? Yeah. and. It's pretty easy to do, really. Um, look at their LinkedIn page. Yeah. LinkedIn has everybody's job history, and you can see what they were doing before they were doing what they're doing now. And I'll give you a couple helpful hints. If the only job history they show is what they're doing right now, it's because they know their previous job history does not support what they're doing right now, and so they don't want you to see it. Yeah. People who are proud of their background because it's a natural progression and supports 
their qualifications and experience and what they're doing right now, leave that background information there for everybody to see because it builds a stronger case for their expertise. So yeah. if you see profiles where that previous work experience is hidden, <clears throat> I'm not going to say that that's a bad service provider, but it, it, it should make you ask some questions at least of what is their background? Do they have the experience and the expertise to be able to help me in my industry? Yeah, absolutely. And then spe specifically in this industry, you can start to ask some industry specific questions, right? Like you can ask, uh, what is your experience with analyzing whip reports? <laughs> you know, and, and if they don't know what that is, or if they're going to kind of him and ha, then that might not be the best person for your particular construction industry. If you need whip reports, not every uh, construction industry business obviously does, but yeah, right. anything that's important to your business. If you ask that service provider specifically, if they have expertise in that, you can tell um, by the way that they answer. Yeah, this absolutely. If you hear the keyboard start going immediately yeah. because they're Googling what's a whip report. This has been a great conversation, Luke. I'm really glad that you were able to join us um, and super excited. Like I said, I feel like uh, we have a lot of the same um, values and we really want to bring the same thing to bear for our construction clients. And so yeah. we always love to kind of talk to folks that are in this industry bringing value to the folks that, like you said, are really working hard out there um, to build our communities and uh, just so much appreciate what you're doing for them. So thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, Tanya. I appreciate, again, you inviting me to be a guest on the podcast. Yep. We'll talk soon. Okay. That sounds good. Thank you for tuning in to Construction Junction. To find out more about the junction between accounting and construction, please email hello at theprofitconstructors.com.